Disability insurance has always been considered a necessity for physicians. But is it? Do physicians need complex trusts to offset liability risks? My friend just told me about a great mining stock in Brazil, sure to double by month's end. Should I buy it? Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today, Bill Cleveland, CPA and Certified Financial Planner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management from Augusta, Georgia. Bill's going to help us navigate the turbulent waters of physicians and their money. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Caskell. Well, do I need disability insurance? It's super expensive. It doesn't really pay my full salary, and it doesn't kick in for a long time. That's probably one of the questions we get most from physicians. And, you know, it's always a very difficult decision anytime you obviously add cost on that uh, you add expenses and costs that obviously you'd rather be doing something else with that money. New doctors are coming out with the mountain of debt. Their salary's not necessarily where they want it to be, and the last thing they want to do is to add on additional cost. Guardian came out with some stats, and basically they said, Guardian's one of the insurance companies, at age 35, you had about a 23% chance of dying before age 65, and about a 31% chance of being disabled before 65. Most of the doctors I see, they feel pretty comfortable about buying the life insurance, but the disability seems to be the one they kind of a little bit more hesitant on. But the stats really show almost the opposite. Those are pretty high numbers. I I didn't realize we were that mortal. Uh, I think the most important thing doctors have, you go through school, you spend all these years developing this expertise, and especially young doctors and pretty much all doctors, the most important asset you have is your human capital, your future earnings capacity. And it's almost imperative, and not many times we would say this to a client, but it's almost imperative that doctors get the maximum amount of disability coverage they can. They don't really offer us that much, though. Well, they don't, and that makes it tough. Most carriers, you can get up to 15000 I mean, you can try to do some creative things. If you own your own practice with disability overhead coverage, some ways to try to increase that above the standard limits. But you're right. So that's why it's important to have the coverage, but also to begin accumulating assets. So hopefully one day, you know, you get to the point to where you're financially independent and you don't necessarily need to have the coverage anymore. Bill, how should I be paying the premium for my disability insurance? Should I pay it out of my pocket? Should my corporation pay it? What do you recommend? That's a very important question, and I think it's one that you don't necessarily always think of asking, but it makes a huge difference of how the premiums are paid, about how the benefit down the road is taxed. So I think everyone should probably, if they don't know, especially if you have a group policy, you should probably ask. And then if you have someone you're working with on the individual side, you should ask them as well. But generally, if you pay premiums with after-tax dollars, meaning you don't get a tax deduction right now for it, then the benefit would be after tax, which, as you mentioned, Dr. Caskell, let's assume my coverage was 10000 a month, so it's $120,000. It makes a huge difference whether that is a, I'm going to get 120000 or whether I'm going to get 120000 less taxes. I do a little moonlighting. I get some self-employment income outside of my practice. Can I take some of that money and put it into my 401k or an IRA or something? This is one area where I don't think it's kind of widely known that this can be done, but the answer is more than likely yes. I mean, you obviously, 
you know, everything I say here, you obviously you need to look at your individual situation, so you want to talk with your CPA or advisor first. But in general, if you're self-employed and you don't have any other employees, there's things called solo 401Ks, self-employed 401Ks, where even if you are participating in your practice at work, that you could contribute to a to another plan that you can set up yourself through a brokerage company or through your advisor. All right, let's talk about something we all need, which is a way to get to work. I need a car. Should I buy it? Should I lease it? Should my business buy it? What's the best thing to do with a car? And can I even write it off through my business? And what is a write-off? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a... Uh... A lot of times it comes down to the to individual situation. I mean, that's not necessarily one I can give you a definitive answer on. In, in general, we tell clients that if they just have to have a car every three or four years, to me, we step back and, and obviously the financial parts are important, but it's also we look at it from a cash flow and overall big picture financial perspective. But if you're going to buy a brand new car every three or four years and some clients like to lease and like to be able to write those lease payments off, through their practice, you know, if they're on their own business. Some of our clients don't necessarily want to have a new car every three or four years, and they're perfectly fine with owning a car, trying not to have, say, but one car payment. And in those situations, from an overall financial standpoint, you know, they come out much better over time by owning a car. So that's one of those where you really have to drill down and look more into the specifics of what the doctor's trying to accomplish. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today, Bill Cleveland of Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. We're talking about lots of different things that affect physicians and their money. Bill, do I need a crazy, complicated trust to protect my assets to protect my family. Last I heard, there's maybe been one physician in the United States who's lost his house ever. Right. And they tell us that, oh, you got to come up with these Chinese walls and all these crazy things to protect everything. And some of that sounds like a lot of fear they're selling. I would agree. You know, again, that's something I think you probably want to talk with a trusted attorney or CPA or advisor who doesn't necessarily have a financial incentive to push you in one direction or the other. You're right. Uh, Many times these complex trusts end up causing more fees and more complexity to keep up and deal with and set up than is worth it. There's some simple solutions, and I'm not saying in a doctor situation out there where these might not be needed, but we look at it as putting up some very simple roadblocks first And then if we need to get into complexity down the road, then we can. You know, one of those is, one, just understand, really understand what your malpractice coverage covers and maximize that as much as you can. Many times by raising the limits to a certain degree from where you're already at, many doctors are surprised that it's really not as much as they would think to raise those limits even higher. You know, most lawsuits, and, and I think you hinted at this in your question, are not from your practice, but are personal liability issues. And I can't tell you the number of times I have seen where an individual comes in with a 3 to $4 million in, in personal assets and does not have uh, adequate coverage on their autos or their home and does not even have a, a personal umbrella liability policy. And what a personal umbrella liability policy is is probably one of the cheapest, least expensive coverages out there is it basically just sits on top of the coverage that's on your auto 
and your home and gives you that additional coverage. So in general, for a million dollars, I found it's somewhere between 200 and $400. So that's coverage well worth getting to help protect your personal assets. All right, Bill, now the million-dollar question. Not a week goes by where I am not given a stock tip by a friend or a colleague, and they say, this is going to the moon. It's a sure thing. The latest one was by Rite Aid. It's a $1.20 and doesn't look like it's going out of business. How much money should a physician allocate to play with? Well, the stock tips are, are not... Uh, they're not going away. They're not going away. You know, we, we do have some clients that will have what I call gambling accounts. Those are the accounts that if they lost everything, it would not affect any decision they make or their financial independence whatsoever down the road. Their wife will still let them come home. Uh, I guess. <laughs> Most of the time, they're very small accounts. But, you know, and I, and I call them gambling accounts because that's basically what they are. Warren Buffett holds stocks on average 10 to 12 years. I mean, no one knows what's going to happen with a stock over a three to six month, even a year time frame. So would you call these guys, I, I know you call them gamblers, would that be the same as a speculator? Basically, yeah. I mean, you're trying to basically gamble or bet on what something's going to do that you basically have no control over, you know, whatsoever over the short term. So I think people have to separate, and some advisors actually encourage this behavior with their clients. You have to separate the gambling from the investing, and investing as a process where, in our opinion, slow and steady wins the race over time. But it's so boring. It is boring. I'd rather be the hare. You know, you hit home runs at work. That's where you're earning your capital. You know, in our opinion, our clients don't want to take significant risk on the hard-earned capital they've already earned. You know, they want to take smart risk and some risk, you know, for their capital to grow. But to use more baseball analogies, they want to hit singles and doubles and know that there is some capital preservation component to that. You know, you don't have to earn 20% a year to have nice returns. One rule that some people probably heard of is the rule of 72. You basically take 72, say divide it by a return, say 7% a year, and that basically gives me 10. My capital would double. If I put $100 in, it would double about every 10 years. So that $100 would be $200 10 years from now. So, And I mentioned the Dalbar survey in a, in a previous discussion we had. That's uh, www.dalbar.com, and that study basically shows that the average investor hasn't even earned 7 or 8% on average because they're trying to pick stocks, they're trying to time the markets, you know, they're getting out during times like this, they get in in times like the late 90s, and if investors would just develop a disciplined investment strategy, then I think over time, you know, they would be much better off. How about this? We should try to make a living in our offices instead of a killing in the markets. I, I like that. Thank you. Like can it. use that. You yeah, can use that. I, I might repeat that one. <laughs> I might repeat that one. Um, we're almost out of time. Anything you'd like to say to the physicians listening? Because we historically have such a terrible reputation as investors. I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I think physicians in most any profession in, in general you're so busy with what you're doing. Many physicians 10, 12 hours a day sometimes. You just don't have the time to do the research and due diligence that you need to do. So 
that kind of tends, in my opinion, to lead some physicians to get into products and get into things that are sold to them that make the advisor a lot of money, but not necessarily the physician. So my suggestion would be to find someone that is a trusted advisor that they can rely on to help them make some of these decisions and and really focus and do what they do well, which is medicine. Well, Bill, you sound quite trustworthy and conservative. How would someone get a hold of you if they want to? Our website is Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N, dash Cleveland.com. And our phone number here in Augusta, we work with clients all across the country, is 706-855-0170. Bill Cleveland, thank you very much for talking with me today. All right. Thank you, Dr. Caskell. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. You can also reach us by phone now with comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening.